0: This is the Find Your Forte Podcast, episode 63. You have the passion. You have the education. Now, it's, it's time, time for the inspiration. inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte Podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Gooth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Gooth with the Find Your Forte Podcast welcoming you to mid to late August here in 2016. I know many of us are either back in school or getting back to school very, very soon. And I wanted to make sure that you heard one of my favorite and Choir Nation's favorite episodes. This is The Importance of Being Present on the Podium with Dr. Joseph Flummerfeld. It is the number two episode of my show, And I'm going to do a re-air for you today of this episode because it is more meaningful every time I listen to it. Dr. Joseph Flummerfelt is a legend in the choral world and has so much timely advice in this podcast that uh, it blows my mind every time I listen. So. I really hope that you enjoy this episode of the Find Your Forte podcast. It has gone down in the archives as one of the most popular. Also wanted to make sure that you join me on Facebook, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation. Join the Choir Nation Facebook group. Um, You could also just search Choir Nation in your Facebook search bar and join us there. It's some awesome, positive choir people, and uh, I know you won't be disappointed if you join us there. Without further ado, let's join Joseph Flummerfeld and myself about a year and a half ago on episode two of the Find Your Forte podcast. Today I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Joseph Flummerfeld, was Musical America's 2004 Conductor of the Year. His musical artistry has been acclaimed in many of the world's concert halls for nearly 40 years. He is founder and musical director of the New York Choral Artist, is an artistic director of Spoleto Festival USA, and for 33 years was the conductor of the world-renowned Westminster Choir. A gifted orchestral conductor, Maestro Flummerfelt has conducted over 50 performances with the Spoleto Festival Orchestra in Italy and in the U.S., he has also appeared as guest conductor with the New York Symphony Orchestra, the Orchestra of St. Luke's, the Juilliard Symphony, and the San Antonio and Phoenix Symphonies. In 1988, he made his New York Philharmonic debut with a performance of Haydn's Creation, and in 2001, he conducted the world premiere of Stephen Paulus's Voices of Light with the Philharmonic and the Westminster Choir. All right, Choir Nation, I've given you a little bit of introduction. If you'd like to read Dr. Thummerfeld's full bio, head on over to www.ryanguth.com forward slash 002. All right, Dr. Thummerfeld, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? I am absolutely ready. Awesome. All right, let's get into it then. We're going to go back in history a little bit. I'd like you to bring us to the moment that you knew you were going to dedicate your life to music. Just take us there.
1: Well, I'm not sure I can give you the exact moment, but I grew up in a musical home. My mother was a piano teacher, taught till she was age 94. Um, I started playing by ear when I was about five. And then uh, sort of got interested in the organ and actually then began playing in church uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, And so at that point, it was pretty clear that music was going to be my life path. Um, Then uh, I went to DePaul University as an organ church music major. And at that point, uh, the fact that I was going to be in music was obviously well
0: established. So who are the people who influenced you most as a young person? Well, I mean, certainly with respect to music, my mother. And then obviously um,
1: uh, I lived up, I grew up in Southern Indiana and, and uh, Indiana University was not too far away. And there was a wonderful uh, concert series. All the great artists came there and uh, I would travel on a bus with my mother and some other people and heard you know extraordinary music uh, there. Um, we didn't have a, 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 a hi-fi, a record was called Hi-Fi. They didn't have a record player. However, uh, until I was about, Thirteen, I think, and I guess maybe a hint that conducting was something I was kind of interested in was that when, uh, with that uh, uh, recording uh, uh, equipment, that audio uh, contraption, which was called Hi-Fi, came a recording of Handel's Messiah, and uh, for whatever reason, I found myself standing in front of the mirror in our living room, Conducting the recording
0: of Handel's Messiah. (laughs) Then I'm really glad that I'm not the only one who stood in front of the mirror conducting the Messiah as a kid. Who was the conductor? Do you remember
1: yeah, uh, wait a minute. I think it was Sir Malcolm Sargent. I, I think it was the Huddersfield uh, Choral Society. It the one, you know, kind of an old fashioned messiah. And then I was the uh, drum major of the high school band. So, you know, and that involved a certain amount of sort of at least setting the tempe and stuff like that. So I guess that's where the conducting sort of began.
0: So, what did you play in the band, your instrument?
1: Well, nothing very well. <laughs> Actually, I think I played bass drum in the in the basketball band. I was drum major of the football band, and I played string bass in the con- band. <laughs> Not very well, I should add.
0: <laughs> well, let's go now to a story where things didn't quite go as planned. Uh, I don't want to call it a failure, but maybe it was just something that sort of threw you for a loop. Can you bring us there?
1: Gosh, that's really difficult. I mean, there's certainly, you know, as I as I grew as a musician, uh, there are performances which I thought went extremely well, and then I listened to recording and I was horrified at what I had done. I uh, uh, actually at first. A very vivid recollection of that was um, um, right after I graduated from college, I was on the staff at Purdue University, the musical organizations, and I had an Episcopal Church Choir. And I decided I wanted to do a performance of the Fire Requiem. And, and I got, uh, got organized, got a bunch of people together and, and got a small orchestra. And um, And I'd really studied it and worked very hard. And I thought I really knew the piece. And I thought I knew, you know, had strong ideas about how it should go. So we did the performance and the church was full and everybody got all excited and and um, it was ta- uh, it was tape recorded and I remember oh late very late at night uh, after the performance I mean it may have been early hours of the morning I just had to go back and listen to that tape I, something really drew me back to the church. And I I started the tape recorder and I listened to it and I decided to, at that point I decided maybe I should quit music you know because I was I, I I was really horrified <laughs> but it's one of those lessons you know that you you uh, you know you keep you grow from your you know from from the mistakes you make and certainly as the years have, have gone on I've you know done a fair amount of recording and my students always kind of laugh because I would say I you know we've recorded say. We did the war requiem, for example, in the York Philharmonic when I was at Westminster. And uh, have you heard of Doctor? No, I haven't listened to it because uh, I would somehow, you know, always feel a little uncomfortable listening to stuff I'd recorded. You
0: know. Right, it's kind of like singers listening to their own voice in recording, or speakers listening to their own speeches, right?
1: It's true, but certainly when you when you, you know, listen to those kind of things, you learn from it because you know you think, oh my goodness, why did I do that? And then you know, some lesson, something gets inst, and you and you keep growing. But that's obviously how you grow. I mean, obviously, certain being self-critical is 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 essential to everybody's evolution. You know, if you if you think you have the answer and you never do, if you think you've got it absolutely mastered and you never have, then then you might as well just stop because it's you know, in in music as in life you know so one is continually growing and and if one stops then one should stop practicing the art
0: <laughs> yeah I, I absolutely could not agree more uh, and i'm sure choir nation feels the same way let me ask you who were your mentors who are the people that you drew inspiration from obviously you have a lot of people that look up to you now who did you look up to as a young conductor
1: well, certainly, I mean, there were a number of people. Robert Shaw was certainly the name that, that leaps readily to mind. I um, I had the great, um, well, actually, when I was working on my doctorate, well, first of all, actually, this concert series that I mentioned at Indiana University, I remember, and I was probably uh, maybe a, 13 or 14, going to with a group of people from Vincennes to Bloomington and here in the Robert Shaw Corral. It was the Honiger, it was Honiger King David and the Bach Magnificat. And I remember just being absolutely, you know, kind of completely blown away. I never heard anything like that. And then, uh, you know, little did I dream that some years later uh, I would get the chance to work with you. And that sort of took root at the University of Illinois when I was working on my doctorate. And, and Harold Decker, who was my mentor there, asked Shaw to come and do weekends uh, workshops. And uh, and the and the doctoral students would then go out with Mister Shaw. I mean, I called him Mister Shaw then certainly, and uh, drink after the performance, at least you know, at least and talk about things. Anyway. So then, um, fast forward, um, I went to Florida State University as choral direct, director of choral activities uh, in 1968. And um, ended up, Robert Shaw asked me to bring my choirs to Atlanta, where he was the, uh, uh, just come on board as the conductor of the Atlanta Symphony, and Florida State was in Tallahassee, Florida. And he asked me to come and bring my choirs in to do a performance of a Haydn mass and some pieces of Charles Ives. That went very well. And then uh, a couple of years later, we did the Pendritsky St. Luke Passion and so forth. So that, then I began to have a really very close connection with him. And then when I went to Westminster Choir College, I sort of was pretty instrumental in, in bringing Robert Shaw to the Westminster campus every year for two weeks just uh, for a choral workshop which went on for quite a number of years. And in those early years I was sort of his you know his right hand and gopher and and was with him in you know in rehearsals and uh, and was enormously influenced and backing up even though uh, when I was doing did those things with the Florida State group uh, his affirmation uh and certainly the things he said to me uh, were life-changing. And, and uh, so certainly Robert Shaw, and, and as I was coming along as a conductor, was a huge influence. And then I had the great good fortune to work with people like Elaine Brown in Philadelphia, who with whom... I did my master's degree, uh, and Harold Decker certainly, as I mentioned, who was at the University of Illinois, uh, and was certainly a wonderful influence. And then, uh, actually, the summer of 1964, because right out of uh, right out of University of Illinois, I went to DePaul University, where I'd done my undergraduate work, and uh, 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 was as the as the choral director. And uh, before that summer, I I went to France and studied with Nadia Boulanger, the sort of great mm-hmm. teacher. And so those are probably the people. And then, as I say, you, you just you learn all your life because I've had you know the great good fortune at Westminster of, of, of working with, the, you know, many of the world's you know, great conductors, many of the world's great conductors and orchestras, especially the New York Philharmonic. Um, and I've continued that relationship with the professional group which I still uh, uh, work with the New York coral artists. So, you know, when you've been around, the, the, you know, the Leonard Bernstein's or the Zuman Matas or the, you know, the list goes on and on. You keep learning, you know, and you keep, and you, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, I think about a lot of important learning. You don't necessarily come away thinking, oh, today I learned this, that, and the other, but you just, you, you are exposed to, to things, and you listen, and then you, maybe years later, you find yourself doing something, or saying something, or approaching your art in a certain way, and think, oh, gosh, that's where the seed was Planted. and i i certainly always said to my own graduate students you know i said look you know some of the things we're talking about may not necessarily make a whole lot of sense today but i said you know the whole business of education is just the process and it's a lifelong learning process and 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 it and and you know i think for example of the graduate conducting recital that my that my students would do i said look that's just part of the process it's no ending test uh, uh, but certainly you know it, it's uh, Again, seeds get planted, and then, and ten years later, something. But I was like, "Oh wow, that's what he was talking about." So mm-hmm. it's just astounding, you know, how you know how if we're open, and you know, and if we're listening, and if we're paying attention, and if we're continually trying to grow and continually trying to seek out people who can be mentors, you know, then uh, uh, seeds get planted and they bear fruit, you know, many years later,
0: sometimes when you least expect it. <laughs> That's such a great point for Choir Nation to take away is that um, there's a networking that has to happen uh, when you are a musician. And a lot of times that pulls us out of our comfort zone. You know, we're incredibly comfortable in making music, um, but sometimes we have to be a squeaky wheel and uh, and make a little bit of racket. Is there a point in time where you had to make a little racket and be the squeaky wheel? Well, I,
1: I mean, I had a little bit, the good fortune of sort of, 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 of sort of people coming to me. Um, uh, there was a point actually though, um, uh, and I don't know if, I guess I, there's no reason not to talk about this. When I was uh, being considered for Westminster Choir College, uh, at a certain point, the person who was the president called and said he changed his mind. And I, uh, uh, and um, I had been recommended to Westminster by, by Robert Shaw and Blaine Brown, and, and I and I said over the phone. And I'm not a person that you know that has a lot of chutzpah, as they say. But <laughs> I said, um, I said I'll come up there at my own at my own expense, and you put me in front of the symphonic choir, and uh, let me do a rehearsal. And I said I somehow feel like uh, I belong at Westminster Choir College. Well, I did that, and. rest is history, so to speak. But I sort of took a big chance because had I not done that, had I just said, oh, I'm deeply
0: disappointed, then my whole, whole trajectory of my professional career would have been entirely
1: different. Oh,
0: I am so glad you brought this up because this is something that I talk about all the time. If you believe in it and you're passionate about it, just go out there and prove it. Just, oh, absolutely. This is just such a wonderful story. Uh, of going out on your own expense, out of your comfort zone, and just showing them.
1: Yeah, and that's what you did. That's it. I, cer- I certainly went way out of my comfort zone because, as I say, I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm by inclination, I'm not a self promoter. I mean, I sometimes wish I were a little bit more entrepreneurial than I than I am by sort of, but. But I certainly did step way out of my comfort zone. But some similar voice said, No, this is supposed to happen and or I think it's supposed to happen and I'm gonna at least, you know, go up there and and uh, and and say put me in front of the choir and we'll see. If obviously if I fall on my face, then that's that. That's the end of the conversation. But happily it didn't turn out that
0: way. Um, we're really glad it didn't turn out that way. And as a former student of yours, I'm so thankful. So <laughs> Thank you for doing that, stepping out of your comfort zone. All right, so now I want to just go into your proudest musical moment, the moment where you stood on that podium and you stepped up with purpose and you were able to say to yourself, you know what? I made it, and I'm so glad that I'm doing this every day of my life. Can you bring us to that moment?
1: Well, gosh, in a certain sense, right? You know, right? I mean, sort of every day, I mean, I... I, you know, I, um, um, there were certainly moments, a few moments that were incredibly affirming. I did mention the the Robert Shaw thing. Um, uh, Brown's Requiem is a work that I, that I love passionately and have had a lot of connection with. And the reason I mention it is because there are two incidents I had that, 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 that were for me incredibly self-affirming in a, in a certain way. One was I uh, did it, uh, Prepare the Westminster Choir to do a performance with Carlo Car- 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 Maria Giulini, a great, great, great musician, with the, with the Los Angeles Philharmonic Carnegie Hall. I think it was sometime in the 80s, I don't remember. And and I remember after the performance, the, the, and we just, you know, had this one connection. The things he said to me were so affirming. And then years later, uh, and I then conducted several performances, the Brahms record, and I was always just felt really unhappy, and it never felt like, you know, it was what I believe the piece should how the P I believe the piece should go. I did a performance at uh, Richardson uh, Auditorium in Princeton, which you which you know since you obviously you know, and you I'm sure performed there uh, with the Westminster Choir. Yep. And I and I remember coming off the stage and I said to I said to Heather Buchanan, who was a woman who was who was kind of my my colleague. She's, she built the most amazing program at Montclair State. Anyway, and I said to Heather, you know, I think that's how it goes just those words i think that's how it goes Mm -hmm. and i walked off the stage and i thought yeah i was able to you know i was able to to touch that work in a in a i think in a very in a very and and then the response there was a response that had kind of gone years after that people that played in the orchestra people were there but i i i'll never forget that because and it's just so simple heather reminded me that we were having lunch she said I'll never forget you came off the stage and said, yeah, I think that's how it goes. And I felt like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing the right thing. I I should be doing this, you know? And as you, I think for all of us, as you have little successes or larger successes or whatever in the classroom, every day in a rehearsal, you, you, you know, you're constantly are are, are being affirmed by, by, and then you're you're constantly sometimes being, you know, discouraged. You walk out of rehearsal and you think, oh my goodness, was that, you know? I certainly kind of dropped the ball today or whatever, you know, and, 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 uh, and then so you figure out why, you know, are you, you tried to teach something in a certain way and didn't work. And then you go back to the drawing boards and say, you know, okay, let me, let me rethink this whole thing. I mean, that's, again, that's the way growth happens. That's the way life happens. You're continually, you know, evaluating and 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 being critical, not, not in a separate, self-deprecating way, you know, not in a self-destructive way, but always being, you know, critical of, of, of what you're doing, and and uh, yeah, the worst thing is to, to get, you know, to allow, to allow yourself to get discouraged, and then, you know, heaven forbid,
0: you know, stop. Right, heaven forbid. I mean, I know there are so many members of Choir Nation out there who are maybe undervalued where they teach or they don't feel like they're getting through to their administration uh, because they're not really in a setting that appreciates music as much as maybe a university setting. Uh, The public school world uh, can be dim at times. So what kind of encouragement would you give those people, the people that are in the trenches every day and may not have the support of a Westminster Choir College, or a New York Philharmonic.
1: You know, I wouldn't presume to 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 you know to, to say that that I to not not imagine how really discouraging that can be, but you know, but maybe some one student, a light comes on in their eyes, or somebody comes up to you, and and you can see that you've touched them in some profound way, and you just you just then have to kind of say to yourself, okay, that principal or that superintendent or that person you know obviously didn't get it but but i think he's he or she is wrong and i'm not going to let that person defeat me i'm not going to let them you know drive me away from this because i i believe in young people and i believe passionately that i have something to say and i also believe you know I, i i really believe as a life principle if we're trying to get things right if we're trying to make sense that the things you know things finally evolve and that that our destiny finally emerges you know in the way that it should you know and and uh, um and and again as I, say, I I I I don't diminish how discouraging that can be for a young conductor coming along especially you know in this world today where where music programs are being being cut or being you know shortchanged in significant ways because of for all the reasons which which your listeners understand so well and and uh, and I can understand how discouraging that can be but 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 boy I tell you being, making music with young people whatever level changes lives in the most profound way and and somehow you have to have the the belief in yourself and the courage to to not allow yourself to be you know to allow that your your passion to be diluted or your career goals to be derailed because of because of people above you who who just don't get it.
0: I mean exactly we just speak a much different language than a lot of people in the educational world. Um, people don't quite understand the bond that a choral director has with their choir and uh, what we really are able to do and how powerful we are uh, as far as changing kids' lives, changing people's lives. I mean, it's just important to keep in mind what you do every day and how important it is. And even if you're having a bad day uh, or things didn't go your way in that staff meeting, you're still doing awesome things every single day. All right, now let's just go into our second section. This is called the Find Your Forte section. Uh, We had spoken a little bit about being present in your pre-interview and uh, I think that's a concept that I struggle with uh, being a millennial who's connected all the time. Uh, and I know even younger people, uh, people 10 years, 15 years younger than me also struggle with the same thing. I definitely think that that is your forte. So would you please talk about that for a little bit, the importance of being present on the podium? You said it yourself beautifully, Ryan. I mean, I do think,
1: uh you know, in the world that 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 perhaps many of, of our your audience is growing has grown up in, certainly, and is is living in today. Um, there is there is the issue of, of social media being so ever present and and so addictive that that uh, people are have become afraid of silence and afraid of solitude, and and. Um, and and allow themselves to be, you know, continually seduced by ever-present, uh, you know, uh, st- stimuli and and uh, sort of, uh, you know, ways of avoiding confronting oneself and ways of avoiding going deep and and certainly you know with my with respect to my own score study obviously you know once i've gone through the the many steps of of mastering a score getting it in my ear the, the the things the most important decisions finally about how i really wanted to go musically are made uh, when i when i just sit quietly with with the score and and i i think um i i think the absence of solitude the absence of silence the fear of solitude and the absence of silence are really uh, forces which sabotage human growth today and and uh, and have to be sort of you know worked worked against and again i don't pretend it's, uh, that that that's probably easy with all the peer pressure that i'm that i know young people are under today that certainly your young people i mean your students are under today too you know, and the fact they're on the phone every five minutes. I mean, you know, every night, every five minutes, every minute, you know. And, and things they walk into the classroom with. You know, they're <laughs> their little handheld, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and all these things, uh, you know, that, that um, ostensibly connect people and ostensibly create friendships. Well, I I would, first of all, suggest that they're not real friendships in a certain way unless they're, you know. Real friendships come with one-on-one communication. People look at each other and look at each other in the eye and talk and that, you know, I think that's probably more difficult for, for young people today because and I'm and for because for the reasons I've given you know, too many distractions.
0: Alright, Choir Nation want to take just a second to make sure that you know that you can support the Find Your Forte podcast on Patreon. Patreon is an amazing website where you can support artists that you love and podcasts and other things that are in the online space that you love. I have a podcast page on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash find your forte. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash find your forte. And there you can pledge as little as $1 per episode to help show your support for the Find Your Forte podcast and bring you more interviews like this one with Dr. Joseph Flummerfeld. It would mean so much to me if you would show me your support on Patreon. Let's get back to this interview. You know, I think it's really interesting that you brought up the idea of confronting oneself. Could you expand upon that idea?
1: Well, I think, you know, in, in a certain sense, it seems to me, and this, I, I hope this, you know, it doesn't sound too esoteric. I, I think for every one of us, the life journey is becoming ever more at one with ourselves. And um there's a wonderful uh, German author called Hermann Hesse, and he, was, he wrote a b- book called Damien, and I, and I read that book many, many years ago. And in it, there was a line that went something like this, and I'm paraphrasing, and I, I hope, but it was like, I think the most difficult road that any human tra- any human being travels is the road that leads to themselves. And I think there's so much truth in that, you know. The great, the two men, great commandment: love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, and you start with love, growing to love yourself, and and. Uh, so I think the, the at, at, indeed at the core of the issue, as your question certainly pointed out, is is by not allowing silence and by not allowing solitude, you do not allow yourself to 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 sort of con- confront yourself. And sometimes confronting oneself is really scary. You know, mm-hmm. I think learning <laughs> learning to you know, to to come to terms with our demons and we all have them. Goodness knows we all have them. And our fears and our insecurities, and everybody has fears. Everybody has insecurities. You look at somebody that's, you know, accomplished a certain amount like, perhaps someone like myself, and you think, oh, gosh, he doesn't have any insecurities. Oh, well, nonsense. (laughs) I mean, we all do. We all are, you know, we all have fears. and And I certainly... As a conductor, I've often said to my graduate students, I didn't begin to make sense as a musician, to, you know, musically to myself until I was probably in my middle 40s, and that the most the most potent measure of my own human growth was the music I heard coming back to me. That is to say that I was able to get out of my way and, and – because and, 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 that ego, boy, that, that mm-hmm. old ego that constantly, you know, wants to be a massage and assuage, you know keeps us from, you know, keeps us from going deep, you know, and, and it causes us to, to do all kinds of things which which feed our insecurity, you know, and we're all insecure. I mean, if that's any, you know, the most important thing I can say to any one of your listeners, don't, you know, everyone, I don't care at what level, and I've had the great good fortune with working with, you know, so many of the great giants in this, in our field. Believe me, they're all, you know, everybody struggled, everybody has moments when they feel that they're not up to the task. And, and uh, you know,
0: confronting oneself,
1: again, through silence, through solitude, through you know, is uh, is at the core of that, I think. You
0: know. Right. And hearing you talk about the idea of insecurities and fears and even the greatest, you know, have those, those same issues, um, what role does the term vulnerable play for you? I mean, I think I've heard you say vulnerable on the podium more than any conductor that I know, um, how important is that word vulnerable?
1: Well, I mean it, it, profoundly. First of all, I mean you can't finally communicate with your singers unless you're completely open. I mean, real communication is, is a two-way process. You you have the courage to say this is what I believe, and and that's the way it is. And you also then have the capacity to to listen and receive uh, in a very uh, you know vulnerable way what's coming back to you. So deep listening finally implies deep vulnerability. And, and, and and this is a word I certainly use with my conducting students over and over. And vulnerability has its roots in breath, being, being open, being, being willing, being able to, to completely, you know, and as you open yourself in front of your students, then that gives them the courage to open themselves, and 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 helps them go places that they might otherwise have been afraid to go through the through the work of of a great composer. And so if, I'm, you know, I'm it's glad that you that you meant, brought up the word, Ryan, because I think being vulnerable is at the core of it. But if you're continually trying to feed your insecurities and uh, and you know feed that old insatiable ego that we all that we all battle with. Um, you don't. You're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable. You're not allowing yourself. You're always on the defensive. You're always, you know, trying to make excuses. You're always trying to, you know, whatever, and and that stunts growth. It just does. I mean, you know.
0: So, in your work with conductors, young and old, what do you do to sort of break down those walls and allow for that growth? Well. Uh, you know, that's uh, it's a little difficult to
1: generalize. I, I mean, because every human being is different. Every every human being brings their own sets of issues. Uh, certainly, the things as a, as a teacher of conducting, I look for are pl- any places that there are tension in in the body. Because uh, you know, if there's muscle, if there's tension in the arms, if there's tension anywhere. Then the energy from the solar plexus can't flow out. And again, breathing, if you really breathe, then the body's open and there is no tension. And, and, and so, I mean, a lot of, a lot of conducting which one encounters, which I certainly see it even at the highest level is, it, it, it brings too much, too much tension to the, to the, to the music making. And therefore the, the, the spirit of the music gets completely strangled. So, um, I, uh, so, as a teacher of conducting, you know those are the things I look for, but then you know for every they may manifest themselves in somebody's shoulders or the, or the way they hold this the way they do or the simple the fact that they're not opening themselves through the breath or whatever now what what causes them to need to defend themselves I wouldn't presume to be able to know you know, but I can certainly see the outward signs as the teacher of of holding on of 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 Forcing the sound of, of 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 taking refuge in control and conducting is not about controlling. Conducting is about allowing. Conducting is about opening. Conducting is about you know. Well, I've just said it about allowing, and the minute you the minute you the minute you feel that, that you need the need to control, uh, then. You're you, you run you're running into a pretty pretty dangerous territory. Sure, the conductor's in charge. Sure, the conductor sets the tempo. Certainly, the conductor shapes the large issue. The relationship between a conductor and his or her singers for me is a circular one, because the conductor, if he or she is open, is also continually listening to what's coming back back at them and being informed by what they hear. You know, every bit as much as as the information that they're sending out to their singers. So. It's a wonderful kind of, you know, circular process, yeah. You know, all of which implies openness, all of which implies vulnerability.
0: Ooh, oh, my gosh. Uh, well, that listening thing, I'll tell you, that's been a struggle for me for very, very long. I don't know whether it comes from the fact that I was a only child for 11 years of my life or <laughs> or whatnot, but um, I've always struggled with listening. And I'm, I think it took personal trauma in my life, you know, to um, get to the point where, I knew that I needed to start to learn to listen. Uh, I have been wrapped up in my own ego for a very long time, and uh, the problem with that is is that um, you just you're never there. You're never there. You're never you're always thinking about the thing to say next. You know, for your ego. You know, and it it oh. You can't hear. You can't hear. You don't listen.
1: Yep. You don't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And that's you. You. I mean, you've just put the nail exactly you know, hit it squarely on the head. You know, and and it's and again, only being completely open, completely vulnerable, can you deeply listen? You know, and and uh, uh, so you know that even if you have good ears, and even if you you know have pretty good ears for intonation and balance and all that kind of stuff. They don't function. They can't function fully unless you're completely open and completely vulnerable. You know, that's so and 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 it's again, it's a part of this growth issue that I've talked about. And you, you know, you've 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 just you know related your own journey, right, in this regard. And the the more secure you become, the more at home in yourself, starting with yourself, mm-hmm. starting absolutely with yourself. The more you grow to love yourself, you know, without trying to sound, without you know wanting to, but it, the more you become at one with yourself, the more obviously the more experienced you become in your art, then the more you're able to be completely open, and then the more you're able to really listen, and then then magic can happen, and wonderful things can happen.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I listen to, I read, and I talk to a lot of successful people, and a lot of what makes people great is the same thing. It's the same thing. It's being human. It's being vulnerable. It's putting yourself out there. It's stepping out of your comfort zone. I mean, there's, it's not a coincidence. It's certainly not a coincidence. Sure. Becoming more fully
1: human. This is a wonderful, some great Abelard, I think one, some ancient one said, the glory of God is, is, is humankind fully alive. And our, the goal of our life is to become more fully alive. I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell.
0: And I think that's a great way to end the Find Your Forte segment, second segment of the show. I want to move on now to the third and final segment, the Echolarndo segment, by asking you what project are you most excited about right now?
1: Well, actually interesting, I'm going to be conducting a Brahms Requiem at the Crane School of Music in Potsdam, New York. I'm going out there the end of end of the month or end of end of last week in April. So I'm very excited about the chance to conduct the Brahms Requiem again.
0: That's very exciting. Well, I'm going to make sure that for all those New York listeners that we have a link on our show notes for further information about how they can go to uh, the Crane School of Music SUNY Potsdam to check out uh, Ein Deutsches Requiem uh, on looks like April 27th through May 2nd, according to your website. So um, we'll get more information about that up on the website. All right, let's go on to how you spend your ideal morning. Can you paint for us the first sixty minutes of your ideal morning?
1: It's kind of different every morning. I mean, actually, I mean, I, right now I get up, I make a cup of coffee, I re, I read the New York Times and uh, the local the local paper, and then I plan my day. So, I mean, I I I uh, I can't say that I have a, an absolutely fixed morning routine.
0: Well, that's fine. That's fine. So, how do you plan your day? Do you plan on paper? I plan on my head, but I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very old-fashioned.
1: I don't have a you know, all, all the Blackberry or whatever, and I don't even have an iPhone. I just have a very basic cell phone. So, I have, I have a steno pad. I make a list. Something, and I would generally sit down and make a list of, of. Well, first of all, I'll see if things that I planned to do the day before that I didn't get done and then i you know i will add my list and and and, and go down the list of the various tasks that, that that i need to undertake you know
0: what was your most favorite concert that you've attended as an audience member gosh it's hard i mean
1: i do remember because i mean you know since i've been involved in so many performances you know the new york philharmonic and York, in philadelphia or whatever but i th- i suppose when i was uh, at Westminster, I went in to, uh, to hear. It was in the '70s, I think, to hear Herbert von Karion conduct two Brahms symphonies with the Berlin Philharmonic, and I and I, those performances, I mean, sort of changed my life. I mean, first of all, I'd hear in the Berlin Philharmonic live and watch hearing that great conductor do Brahms, and I remember it's just oh my goodness, and that 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 performance had a huge impact on me, on the way I thought about music the way i conducted and certainly on the way i thought about bronze
0: all right well here's the big one this is the one that i'm super excited to ask all of my guests on find your forte if you only had one concert left in your lifetime acquire with limitless ability and access to a sold-out concert venue of your choosing where would your final concert be and what would be the last piece on that program
1: the work that somebody asked me, I was on a panel once at some convention, and what's the work work that you've never conducted that you would love to conduct? And I said, Beethoven, Misa Solemnus again. You know, I mean, that for me, if I had one work that, to conduct, and that, that was going to be my last performance, it would be the Beethoven, and Mises Solemnus.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Well, I know you gave a stunning performance of Mises Solemnus at the final concert, your last official uh, final concert at at Westminster Choir College. So, let's end this interview with giving the the listeners of Choir Nation some parting words of encouragement.
1: I just don't get discouraged. I mean, don't allow. You know, I mean, you know, keep keep at it. I mean, I keep growing. Uh, keep finding ways through reading, through you know, through through listening, through and find find time to be quiet and alone with yourself. Find time to be alone with yourself, and I and I know for many young people that's that's um, that's not easy. But I think it's absolutely critical for us to you know to continue to, to grow as human beings.
0: Well, thank you so much, Doctor Lumberfelt, for being on Find Your Forte. I know you are uh, an inspiration to Choir Nation, and you are going to help so many step up to the podium with purpose every single day. I know you probably want to know what Dr. Flummerfeld is doing uh, and keep up with him. So feel free to connect with him on his website, which is www.josephflummerfeld.com. And you can see upcoming concerts there and read a little bit more about him. You could also check out his show notes page at www.ryanguth.com forward slash 002. Well, goodness, I am just so glad to have you on the show, and thank you for your generosity today.
1: Well, it's my great pleasure. I think it's a wonderful thing which you're undertaking, and I wish you all success as you move forward with this, Ryan.
0: All right, Choir Nation, thank you so much for tuning into this interview. It was such a pleasure to interview Dr. Flummerfelt, and I hope you enjoyed the past 40 minutes with me. If you'd like to support the show, what I would ask you to do is go to iTunes or your podcast app of choice, whether it's the podcast application on your iPhone, Stitcher on Android or Podcast Republic, anything that you use to access your podcasts, and just hit that subscribe button. I don't want you to miss any episode of Find Your Forte. We have some amazing guests lined up, starting with episode three, Ryan Brando, followed by Helen Kemp next week, episode four. Thank you so much for tuning in today and stepping up to the podium with purpose. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.